Good morning. All right. If you have your Bibles, open them to James chapter 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get you one. After we finished our last series, this beautiful mess, and talking about the kingdom of God, we met with the leadership and we kind of had a conversation and I was asking, what do you think we need or would be good to talk about if there's something that we need to address? And it was kind of brought up the idea of how can we help people find strength and faith through the difficult times that people are going through. And I'm aware of some of your lives and some of the things that are taking place, some of the physical ailments, some of the financial struggles, the loss of job, some of the emotional struggles with family, with kids. And so there's a number of things that I'm aware of. And so as I was thinking, okay, what can we do to help strengthen people's faith at these times when they're confronted with issues that cause us to worry, cause us to fear, and cause us to get stressed out? And one of the passages that came to mind was in James chapter 1. And so if you'll turn there. We'll read these verses together. I'm supposed to have it already picked out. There it is. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding faults, and it will be given to you. This verse came to mind because I thought of, okay, when you're facing difficulties, this verse, well, count it all joy. Count it pure joy. Now, if you're like me and you read that passage, you, you think, are you kidding me? But you don't say it because it's the Bible and you're not supposed to say those things, right? But consider it pure joy when, and you can fill in the blanks with some of the things that are, are trials of various kinds. Because it's a, a difficult thing sometimes to wrap our minds around. How is it pure joy when I find out that I have cancer? How is it pure joy when I am given my notice at work and I no longer have a jo job? How is it pure joy when my kids are struggling or are addicted. How, how do I consider these things pure joy? And what happens is we get so caught up in the situation, it becomes our focus. And there are so many things when it says various kinds of trials. I mean, there are so many things. I mean, just shout out. What are some things that stress you guys out? Family. Family. Anyone, amen? Do I get an amen for family? Okay. Do we want to get particular? Do we want to say parents, kids, wives? No, we won't say that, okay? We won't, we won't get too particular. What else? In-laws? Someone? Okay. Okay, we're getting personal. Uh, what else? Anything else? Jobs. Work. Anyone have stress about job or lack of job? Work? Work? Employers? Okay. What was that? Addiction. Addiction. Addictions. 
Here, here are a number of things that stress us out. Here are trials of various kinds, things that we encounter that cause our lives to become focused on these issues, on these concerns, on these worries. And, and what usually happens with us when we encounter something that is difficult, our brains go into survival mode. We think, what do I have to do to get through this? And we stop reasoning as we normally do because we become basically survivalists. And we've been created to do this. Our brains function in such a way that when, for example, you are being chased by a mountain lion, hopefully it doesn't happen very often, but if it were to happen and you were being chased by a mountain lion, your brain would focus on running, getting over a fence, doing whatever is necessary. And so when you're running, you wouldn't regard the fact that, wow, the ground is kind of hot underneath my feet. You wouldn't think that. You wouldn't stop and go, oh, look at the sunset. It's beautiful over there. Your, your brain is just focused on surviving, and all those other things get eliminated because you're in survival mode. You don't stop to reason, you just run. You don't think, and your body just reacts. I remember one time, it was years ago, I was probably in junior high school, and we were getting ice cream, and I remember it was at a, uh, 31 Flavors, and it was over in Hollywood, but I had to go to the restroom, and they didn't have a restroom available, they said. And so, <laughs> I went into the alleyway to, anyway, <laughs> I was in junior high, it was a long time ago, the you know, statute of limitations has run out on this. And I remember as I was walking into the alleyway, all of a sudden there was a dog. And it was a bigger dog. And the dog looked at me and I saw, you know how you see the eyes light up? You know, and they're like demon eyes there in the dark. And it looked like a wolf to me, you know, in junior high. And all of a sudden the thing snarled at me and started running at me. And so... I ran away. And I remember I never ran so fast in my life. I just hightailed it out of there. I remember there was a little fence. I just scaled it and no problem. And I was just there. The dog probably just was, you know, protecting the ice cream cones or whatever was behind there that I wanted. But I didn't think anything else. I didn't think, oh, you know, maybe I can reason with the dog or maybe I can get the dog to, to sit. Or I just, no, I'm out of here. And what happens to us many times is when we encounter this difficulty, I've lost my job, I get tunnel vision. And all I see is the problem. All I see is the issue. And so James tells us, if you lack wisdom, you need to ask God. In other words, I need help here. I need to get out of this tunnel vision mode. I need to be able to, to see other things that I am not seeing. I need help. I need input past what I'm just locked into. And it's amazing how this focus can keep us from moving past the problem. You know, I, I talk with people a lot and, and just my position, and it's interesting how I always seem to be able to think rationally when I'm talking to other people. And then there's an issue with one of my kids, and my wife says, 
why can't you talk to your own kids? You talk to everyone else's kids. And, and it's for some reason, when it's my kids, my mind gets into this, I got to fix this, I got to fix this, I got to fix this. And I lose this ability to reason as I normally do. And I have to stop and I have to think and I have to ask God, I need wisdom here because I just want to react. I just want to say, hey, do this, do this, do this. And I'm just in a survival mode. Take care of this. And this is how we do it. And I don't stop to reason. I don't stop to think about the fullness of the situation, how best to handle it. And I think we do that a lot with some of the trials that we have. And, and we need that wisdom to see past the trial. You know, Jesus said, in this world you would have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's told us that these trials aren't going away. And then he tells us to take heart. This is kind of like, it's pure joy. Take heart, be comforted in this. And then he says, I've overcome the world. Now again, I'm just being honest with you. When I read that sometimes, I said, well, I'm glad you've overcome the world, but right now I'm going through the trial. Okay, we don't say that out loud because, again, it's the Bible. You just have to believe it. But I go through this turmoil inside. I do. And I want to know, okay, you have overcome the world. How does that affect me? Because what Jesus is saying is that what you need to do is find your identity in me. And if your identity is in me, the fact that I have overcome the world is going to encourage you. It's going to give you hope. It's going to give you strength. You can take heart because I have overcome the world and you are connected to me. It also then tells me that when I lose heart, I'm not really connected the way I should be. And that's the confession moment when I have to say, you know, God, I'm overwhelmed with this circumstance. You've told me they were going to happen. You told me I can be of good cheer. You told me I could take heart. You told me I could be encouraged. You told me that I, I can count it pure joy. The reason I'm not is there's something deficient in me. It's not you. It's me. And so how can I get this wisdom to get past the problems, to get past the issues that I face? And, and wisdom, here's something that we, we, I think, should define a little bit. I mean, we want to see what wisdom is. And so turn to Proverbs chapter 2 as we look at what this wisdom looks like. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and, the, and find the knowledge of God. Here, Solomon is giving this instruction to his son, but it, it applies to all of us. It's directed gender-wise to son, but it, it can apply to sons and daughters, to all of us. Want me to get that? <laughs> it applies to all of us. And, and what he's saying is, you know, you need to search for this. 
Wisdom isn't something that's just going to fall upon you. Gabe's over here. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, how are you guys doing? <laughs> Sorry, ma'am. Wisdom isn't something that just falls in your lap. It's not something you go to sleep and wake up and you have. It's something that you have to look for. It's something that you have to search for. It won't happen automatically. It requires thoughtful pursuit. Wisdom is something that you need to search for. So what does this wisdom look like? I want to ask you something, again, kind of have a little interaction here. I want you to think of the wisest person you know. Now, it can't be like Dr. Phil, okay, <laughs> because you don't really know him, okay? It has to be the wisest person who actually knows you. Someone who you can call up and say, hey, I need advice with this situation, Okay, I want you to think of that person. And again, it's someone you're connected to, someone you have conversation with, someone you know. Everyone got that person in your mind? Okay, let me ask you. If that person who you see is the wisest person in the world, the wisest person that you know and who knows you, if that person who's the wisest person is also the most educated person you know. In other words, this person who you see as the wisest person is also the most educated. They have a PhD, they have a doctorate, they are the most educated person you know and the wisest. Would you stand up if they are both? Okay, look around you. There's no one standing up. So that tells us you can't be wise and educated. No, it doesn't tell us that. <laughs> But what it does tell us is that education is not necessarily a requirement of what we consider wisdom. Let me ask you something else. If this person who is the wisest person you know is the most affluent person you know, and not, I'm talking about the richest person you know, not ethereal rich. Yes, they're rich in life. No, I want, this is hard, cold cash. This person has the bucks. If they are the richest, most affluent person you know, as well as the wisest person you know, would you stand up? And could we get their phone number? Okay. Uh, okay, look around. Okay, you guys may be seated. So now we know that you can be wealthy and wise, but it's not likely, but it's more likely than being educated and, and wise, apparently, in our group. Now, if you're looking for someone who can help you with a medical issue or with a historical issue, you're probably going to need to go to the most educated person. There is a place for that. I, I want to make this clear. I'm not trying to dumb down education for all you teachers out there. I don't need more enemies, okay? But that doesn't mean they're the wisest person you know. And if you need help in a financial matter, you might go to a more affluent person, but it's not necessarily the person you are going to go to for wisdom. Now, let me ask you something else. If this person who's in your mind, the wisest person you know, is the person who creates a relational and emotional health with others around him, if this person is the person who 
you would call because you could get from them help with relational issues, emotional struggles that you go through in your life, would you stand up if that meets the requirements of that person? Okay. I don't know about the rest of you who the wisest person is. You guys can be sitting down too. I I don't know what your requirements is, but most likely what we consider wisdom is how they interact relationally with other people. That is where we get our understanding of wisdom and how it is applicated in our lives. The application is connected to other people. That's where wisdom comes in, how to live a life with others in a healthy way, to be able to be emotionally healthy. That's the person that we usually will get wisdom from. And so this is what we know from wisdom. It doesn't make you more educated or more affluent, but what it does do is enable you to understand the more complex and dynamic issues in life, and that's usually how things take place with us and with other people. All the issues and stressful things that we talked about, whether it's family, coworkers, jobs, all these things are connected to people. Your job is connected to, someone said, the employer. There there are all these things that even addictions connected with the people around us. And so wisdom is necessary to move through life in all these areas that cause us stress. To ask God for wisdom, we're asking for help in how to deal not only with the situation, but with the people that are in this situation. And so now if I'm confronted with an issue with my wife or with my husband or with another family member that's a struggle and it's my trial and I'm asking God for wisdom, what I'm doing is asking God, can you help me in this relationship with this person? Can you help me understand when I'm confronted with one of my kids and I'm dealing with the situation instead of just reacting, you need to do this, you need to act this way, I need to stop and say, what are they going through? Why are they going through these things? What is the best thing to say to them that's going to help them to get to where they need to be? And not just strong arm, I'm the dad, you're going to listen to me. If I'm confronted with a situation where I I don't have a job and I start panicking, And I start thinking, oh no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I've been there. I have to stop and ask God, okay, what are the opportunities that I am not seeing? How am I to invest my life? Where am I to invest my life that is going to be helpful in my future? And usually it's going to be connected to people. When I went through and was... uh, dismissed from my job. I had no other opportunities really before me. And so I started calling people. Hey, this is my situation. I've just been let go. What are your thoughts? Any leads? What's going on? And things opened up slowly but surely. But if I would have just panicked, oh no, I'm going to die. I'm going to die and just go to sleep. Hey, that's what I wanted to do. I'm just going to go to sleep. I'm just going to watch TV I don't know what to do. I I can't see past that. And what happens is I start getting paralyzed by the difficulty. Now, what's interesting in this proverb is he connects fear, the fear of the Lord, 
and understanding and wisdom. He does that in the first chapter, verse 7 too. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that's, again, one of those things that we kind of dance around. You don't go up to say, oh, man, I, I'm so afraid of God. Isn't it glorious? You know, they're going to look at you like, okay, that's kind of weird, man. Where do you go to church? You know, that's not really what we're used to talking about. And, and so why is Solomon talking about the fear of God and wisdom? Why is he putting these things together? And I think it's really important that we understand what is taking place. You see, what fear does is it, it sets the standard of which you can go to. It, it kind of puts the ceiling. For example, if you're afraid of flying, you don't get in airplanes. Your ceiling goes up to 12 feet. <laughs> okay? You don't like to go in the airplane because you're afraid of flying, so it's going to limit your life. If you're afraid of the dark, then you're going to stay where there's light. Your life will only go up to this place, and so we, we set the ceiling of what we can experience based on our fears. They, it controls who we are. It controls the things that you do. Whether you realize it or not, your fear shapes your life. If you're afraid of relationships, it's going to hinder you from talking to people. Why? Because you're afraid, and, and I don't like that, and so my fear comes, here's the ceiling. When I go to meet another girl, or it's a guy, or whoever it is, I panic, I get clammy my hands, and I stutter, and I say, nice weather we're having, and it's 107 degrees outside, and... Oh, I mean, yeah, uh, uh, and so we just don't go there because we're afraid. And the fear starts to control how we live our lives, whether we recognize it or not. If you don't like crowds, you stay out of certain spaces. You won't go to clubs or maybe even to churches because I don't like people. I get afraid. And so now you are limited by what you fear. And, and recognizing that we are limited by those things, that it establishes the boundaries actually of our freedom, it's important to recognize that because it's going to fuel the choices you make. Your fear will determine how you move forward. And so now, if I'm afraid, I've lost my job or the situation with my son or, or my wife, now I'm fueled by this fear, and it's going to limit how I act. It's going to control. I'm going to go into survival mode. I'm not going to think clearly. My ceiling is here. This is all I can go up to, and I keep hitting that ceiling. Why? Because I'm afraid. I'm controlled by these things, and we're more shaped and limited by our fears than we realize. And whatever you fear will be your master and it will tell you how you're going to live your life it will control you and fear can be a cruel master it'll haunt you moms how many moms are afraid because of their children what's going to happen and they're consumed with that and they think about it over and over again and especially as your children get older and they're adults. 
and they're out of your control. You can't make their decisions for them. Oh, you want to. Oh, if you could. But you're so afraid of what's going to happen. Just as we were getting started here, my phone was buzzing because I set it on silent, vibrate. And I looked and it said, San Antonio Hospital. You know, what do you think when you see San Antonio Hospital? All of you guys are waiting for the answer. What happened? What happened? I see. You know, I was thinking, well, okay, my son, where is he? I, you know, Kevin works at San Antonio. Maybe he's there calling me. So I answered. I went outside. Okay, San Antonio. And, and I had this fear. And it was someone at the hospital calling for dog training. Now, my emotions took over as soon as I saw San Antonio Hospital. My mind went to just some dark places, what this could be. Because I've gotten other calls from the hospital or police or things like that. And all my, I start, oh no. What's going on? What am I have to? I, I start getting into survival mode. Okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. I'm gonna have to. I have to drive out into the hospital. I'm gonna have to do surgery or something. You know, I don't know what I'm gonna have to do. I'm just gonna have to go down there and try and fix the matter. No, I got a question for dog training. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and so what happens is our fear starts to control us in ways that. We don't even realize. And here's what we need to understand about the fear of the Lord. You see, if fear sets a ceiling and whatever we fear limits our life, what happens when all we fear is God? What happens when all we need to fear is God? Then everything else is below that and we don't need to be afraid. If you fear the Lord, you don't need to be afraid of all these other things. And your ceiling is God. And now you can take heart, even though there's tribulation. Now you can consider it pure joy because you're not controlled by the fear. All you fear is God. And that's your ceiling. And everything under him, you're free. You can think, you can know that he is going to be a part of your life, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What does that mean? You're with me. If I have it under control, you don't need to worry about it. The hardest thing for us to do is let go of the things we fear. It's so hard. And you will reason in your mind why you need to hold on to it. You will hold on to those things and it will give you ulcers. It will torment your life. And God is saying, all you need to do is fear me. Don't fear these other things. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, it says, Fear of men will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Fear of men. Fear of these other things that we've talked about, that is going to be a snare. Have you ever been so worried about what people are going to think of you? I have. 
I worry about it every Sunday when I talk or every Thursday night. I, I talk and my wife goes, did you really say that? And I go, yeah, I did. I wonder if anyone's going to be back next Sunday. <laughs> and if I were to let those things control me, I wouldn't say anything. I, I would be very politically correct in all the things I shared with you instead of the things that I believe God has put in my heart, the things that he has used in my life to transform me that I want to share with you. If I feared what people would say and what they expected me, I would have a hundred different things that I would have to cater to. It's a snare. If you fear man, but if I trust in God, I'll be kept safe. I'll be kept safe. It also says in 1 John, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And it almost seems conflicting. Well, if love casts out fear, why do I have to fear God? Because why would you put fear in anything else if it's going to control you? If you're going to fear something, fear the one who will not use that fear against you. Fear God who will not use fear in a way to condemn you, but instead uses it to give you freedom. You see, if all I fear is God, I don't need to be afraid of anything else. And so wisdom is recognizing that the only one I answer to is God. Wisdom is recognizing what I want to do is please Him. I want to live my life in a way that honors Him. My character matters to Him. I'm going to govern who I am by the things that He sees, not the things that everyone else sees, because I can play games with everyone else. I can use everyone else to my advantage. We're so smart, we know how to play the game. We know how to manipulate our parents, our kids, our friends, our coworkers to make them think what we want about them if that's what we're inclined to do. And we can play that game. And all we're doing is sabotaging our own lives. And it's a snare. But if I fear God, and I live my life because I care about what he sees, what he thinks of me. I conduct myself in that way. I'm not fearing people, what may or might not happen with my kids or my job or my life or my health. I'm not allowing those things to govern my thoughts and control how I live. Let only what God says about me, only his judgment over my life, my actions, and my choices. Let that be what governs me. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. That's how we live a life of wisdom. When you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else below Him. And when you place all your fear on the Lord, then His perfect love will cast out all other fears and then you will be able to see it pure joy when you encounter the various trials. Because you don't have to be afraid. Proverbs 22, verse 4. It says, humility is the fear of the Lord. I love that. What, what does that mean? 
the idea of humility is a recognition of need, of placing yourself under. Humility is the fear of the Lord. You can't fear God and be proud. If you think you've got it all together, you won't need to ask for wisdom. You've got it all together. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. And life. That's why the Proverbs could say, Proverbs 28, 14, Blessed is the man who always trembles before God. One translation, it says, Happy is the man who fears always. Isn't that strange? Happy is the man who fears always. What does that mean? It means you're free from the bondage and cares of this world. They don't lay hold of your life because your belief and trust and faith in God is supreme. It's what determines how you live. And if we lived our lives in this way, we would make the choices that are healthy for us instead of the ones that destroy us. Have you guys ever played that game Jenga? Anyone Jenga? Is that the most bizarre game? I mean, what other game do you play where there isn't a winner, there's just a loser? <laughs> right? I mean, if it's checkers, it's like king me. Yes, I win. Chess, you know, checkmate. I made the move. I won. But Jenga, it's not that way. Everyone sits around and waits for someone to fail, and then they all celebrate. <laughs> and you pick those little blocks, and it's like, I'm going to pick this one strategically, because after this one, someone's going to fail. Yes. <laughs> what a strange game sit there and watch, waiting for someone to fail, and then everyone else wins. But you know, our lives are a lot like Jenga. We, we start making bad choices and pulling different things out of our lives, one after another. You, you make a bad choice here, you make a bad choice there, you start living in a way that isn't healthy for you, and you slowly start tearing away the core of who you are supposed to be. And then it's just a matter of time where it's that one piece, and it's not even something maybe that's huge. It might be a small thing that just, the straw that broke the camel's back, you just, that one thing, and then your life falls apart. Because you've been tearing out the core of who you are. You've been worried about all these other little things instead of living a life with the understanding, fear of God, that's the wisdom. And then finally, when your life crumbles and you're there in a mess, you think that just one piece, if I just undo this one action, I can fix my life. But it's not that way. You see, you've been tearing your life up for years and you think one piece is going to fix it all, and it doesn't. And so many times our lives are like that. We are living our lives, tearing apart ourselves and the core of who we are, making decisions that aren't healthy, aren't good, based on fears, based on the things that hold us captive. And one day, it collapses. And we wonder, how did this happen? You ever 
hear that? You ever say that? How, did, how could this happen? Everyone else around you knows how it could happen. You just didn't. Why did this happen to me? And there was choices all along this way, and when it fell, great was its fall. The choices we make and how we live our lives bring stability. Fearing the Lord, caring about what He wants brings freedom, brings health. It's wisdom. And so how can we help people find strength and faith through the struggles that they're going through? Connect them to the God who loves them. Connected to the God who cares for you. Fear him. That's the beginning of wisdom. And if you fear the Lord, you will find that you have the freedom to live and the ability to make decisions because now you're not blinded by your fears. Now you're not controlled. You're not using just part of your brain. You're actually able to reason. You're able to see the things and the choices that are there because you're not being held down by just your freedom. In this world, you will have tribulation. Take heart. Jesus, my Jesus, has overcome the world. Count it pure joy when you face those trials. And I'm not belittling your trials. I know what many of them are. And God isn't ignorant to how severe they are. When he tells you, count it pure joy when you encounter these different trials. God's doing something in you. Ask for wisdom from him. Set your ceiling up here. And he will guide you. He will give you insight and direction where you need to go. Because when you fear him, it's the beginning of knowledge, and it will set us free. Let's pray. Father, I know many times when I hear people tell me when I'm going through difficult times, trust God. God works all things out for the good. Or to be of good cheer. I want to respond with, but you don't understand. And Lord, I recognize that that response of you don't understand is the mindset of fear that is blocking away any other reason that is keeping me in tunnel vision. When I say you don't understand, the truth is I don't understand. I don't see clearly. I am in survival mode. I am fleeing. I am not 
reasoning and recognizing that you are still at work, that you are my God, and that you love me, and your perfect love is able to take all these other fears and cast them aside. If I would only fear you. Lord, the truth is I fear so many things. The truth is I do fear what people think. I do fear finances and the lack of them. I, I do fear for my children and for my family and loved ones. I, I, I do fear for so many things. And Lord, what it is doing to me is just bringing decay. I'm pulling out pieces of my life. I'm tearing myself up. And I can't live that way. One day... I'll fall. One day I'll break because I didn't recognize these things that I was fearing, the control they were having on my life and the need I had to only fear you. Lord, I pray these words would be helpful to some here today in some of the situations that they're finding themselves in, the various trials that face all of us, Lord, the various fears that we encounter, God. May they not set the ceiling of our lives. May we not allow them to be what determines who we are. May we fear you. And may that be not only wisdom, but health for our lives. Lord, I do pray this in Jesus' name.